Carly Chardonnay Webb. And I'm Don Ennis. And this is the Transporter Room. Sports, transness, sci-fi, fantasy, and other stuff. And there's been a lot of stuff we can talk about. And right out of the gate, finally, at long last, the silent governor <laughs> speaks. 101 days, Gover- Carly. 101 days walking through the wilderness, but he finally found the wherewithal to say, we will stand up for trans student athletes. Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont finally spoke out. Now, let's give the guy a break for this one little bit. He is dealing with a pandemic. He is dealing with angry people, voters, and he's dealing with a lot of people who may not necessarily support transgender student rights but the right thing to do is what attorney general william tong did and finally the governor ned lamont did it's stand up to betsy devos and tell her butt out i love that headline Carly. that was a great <laughs> like headline just, but that's exactly what he said he said i don't, i want to just tell the federal government to butt out leave our kids alone and i like that he said that that was an important thing for him to say. And I think he, I mean, and granted, you're right. We can give, I mean, I give, I give Governor Lamont actually a lot of credit for making some hard decisions throughout this pandemic. A lot of decisions that weren't popular, but were the right decisions to make. But I would have liked it. I would have liked it more if he would have spoken out on June 12th, right yeah. at the point of attack. But I all like in the story I wrote, one thing I did point out is that I think in a way it shows once again that when individual people get together and talk to their elected officials and get out front and get out front of things, that's what kind of pushes Hartford to move. Because tell us about New Haven. New Haven did that, right? Yes, it was New, New Haven. Even before then, let's talk about Stanford. Stanford was the first community even though it was a resolution, the mere fact that it, that the that their board of representatives said that their board of representatives said in a massive in an overwhelming vote that if Betsy DeVos comes for us, we are prepared to fight and we will stand up and we encourage other communities to do the same. That planted a seed and then that carried to New Haven and their board of education, who who even took it one step further. They said not only are we going to affirm our membership in the CIAC, we are also prepared to pursue legal actions directly against the Department of Education. You want to mess with us, Betsy? We'll see you in court. I And I like that. I like what the mayor of New Haven, Justin Elliker, had to say. And he's right. This is extortion. Yep. They're, holding, they're holding a gun to our head, and they're going to divide one group of children that, uh, that are in many ways largely disadvantaged because New Haven's public school system is largely black and brown and we're going to and we are going to put pit one group that's that in many ways is disadvantaged against this in this country against another group and we understand that divide and conquer doesn't wash we know what the game is so no it was extortion he was right but i think that planted the seed with a lot of people in hartford and it got to ned lamont ned just finally said i need to speak out i need to get out in front of this thing and speak out especially with the school districts that are targeted here. Here, they're three of the largest and they're three of the most diverse. They're targeting New Haven, Hartford, and Groton. Even yes. though 
If bets the other way, Lesson, she'll target man. the rest of them, mm-hmm. especially right now in the middle of a pandemic. Yep. When these schools need all the funding help they can get. And let's explain to folks what Betsy DeVos's Office of Civil Rights was threatening to do and still is threatening to do is to withhold education funding from these districts. The Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference. Conference, the yeah. CIAC that you referred to earlier, right. which is basically responsible. It's a non-government, non-profit agency that is responsible for all competitions involving sports throughout the state. And districts adhere to its policies to be able to have competitions. For seven years, the CIAC says trans student athletes can compete in the gender in which they identify. It's according to our state constitution. It's it's the government of Trump coming up against the government of Ned Lamont, and Ned Lamont is saying, "Stop right there." God bless him. No, I like that he did that. And, it, and again, the CIAC and the Connecticut Association of Schools, which is our Department of Education in this state, mm-hmm. they're adhering to state law. That's mm-hmm. the that's one of the most important things that people have to realize. This is state law in Connecticut. It has been since 2011. Gender identity is a protected class under this state's human rights laws. That's right. So that's right. all the CIAC is doing and their member conferences are doing is adhering to the law. What Betsy DeVos is trying to tell these districts to do is leave the CIAC. In effect, try to break up the CI try to break up the CIAC and start a whole kettle of fish about high school sports in this state just be and threaten all Connecticut school children. And that's the one thing I always point out. This isn't because a lot of people say, oh, I had someone actually tell me, Carly, you're just about the trans kids. Well, I am about the trans kids, but I'm also about the cis kids because every kid in Connecticut is threatened by this, especially right now when you're in a place where schools are going to need additional help from Washington. But Carly, 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 conservatives and Republicans, aren't they for less government interference? Aren't they for having people legislate themselves? Why would they come into Connecticut and tell people that they have to disband from the CIAC? That's opposite of what the Republicans and conservatives supposedly stand for. Oh, you, you really believe that? <laughs> <laughs> less government. No, no. They want less government and less regulation for their friends to make a little bit of money. They want more government and regulation on you. You know that you know what they say, socialize the risk, privatize the profit. That's what they're that's what they're really about. And they want to be it's funny, they want government out of your life. They just want government in your bedroom and government in your endo's office and government in your gynecological exam. They want government they want government anywhere where their friends are, but they want government everywhere where you are. That's what this is really about. You tell it straight, you know, it's funny. I think it's been at least three weeks since we had you on a soapbox about socialism. So now that you got it out of your system, we can go back to counting to three more no, weeks. No, no, no. This has nothing to do with socialism. This has nothing to do with what, what your political tendencies are. This is about right and wrong. And right now, to me, that's my – I'll say it. That's my whole – that's my whole spiel throughout this election year. Your political, your political tendencies, whatever they are, they're secondary. The primary thing is it's humanity and democracy versus fascism. And what we saw here in the actions of Betsy DeVos and that Department of Education is a form of fascism. And we're and we got to call it when we see it. 
And I like the fact that Ned Lamont called this out as a as a dire election political ploy that it is. I like that he mentioned that six weeks before an election and you're pulling this. It's shocking. Yeah. Six weeks to election day. And the thing that I dreaded most has happened. We lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Friday, right at the start of Rosh Hashanah. And yesterday, Romney said that he's going to vote with the Republicans. They're going to have a vote before Election Day to secure a new Republican six to three majority in the Supreme Court. And I got to tell you, Carly, I'm scared for this country. I'm scared for my children. I'm scared for you and me. This world is going to just change so, so much. No matter who's the president, our courts are going to be just log jammed with hate. Hate. Well, I can tell you, it's not exactly the way you want to start a new year. That's for dang certain. Yeah, I know. Not the way 5780. Yeah, but but you know what? As a good friend of mine on Twitter says, we're not we're not taking any BS in the 5781. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what it comes and that and I'm going to give you I know you're not I know that red's not exactly your favorite color, but I'm going to give you a piece of revolutionary optimism right now. I'm wearing number maroon. 1. <laughs> n- well, number 1, do I do should we mourn Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Yes, we should. Yes, we should. And I do. Even if I have my political differences with her, even if I have political differences with liberal Democrats, I do more in the fact that this woman's passing because of the things she has done. And she's done a lot. She's been on the wrong side of some issues, but she's been on the right side of some issues. Typical American bourgeois politician. But the biggest thing right now is we have to understand that no matter who wins this election, the movement must continue. And it's a movement that we've been seeing, that we're seeing in our streets, that we're seeing in our courts, that we're seeing in our schoolrooms. That movement is bigger than than anyone, than any election. If I hear Trump you. wins, the movement's got to continue. If Biden wins, the movement's still going to continue because we have to protect, we'll have to protect him. And in my case, I want to push him even more left. Oh, I hear but you. But the biggest thing is, I want to make, but the biggest thing is what you're talking about, we're all afraid, Don. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're trans, you're certainly afraid. If you're gay, lesbian, bi, if you're anything that's not white, cis, het, male, and Christian, you're dang afraid. And even if you're white, cis, het, male, and Christian, you better be damn afraid too. Yeah. Because I I want to talk about this real quick. It's something yeah, don't, I'm listening. that needs hey, to be I out not, there. I'm not going to knock you off your yeah. soapbox. Because we had Juniper Simonis on the show. Yes, I remember. Recently. Dr. And you know, Simonis, yes. And you know how Dr. Simonis was out protesting how they are in Oregon. In Portland, yeah. And they got and they were literally kidnapped off the street yeah. by law enforcement. Yeah. They were grabbed off the street, black bag, and put in a van. That happened to four organizers, five organizers rather, I know, just a few days ago in Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Happened to a girl they in were New York a, City too. They were a a co- yeah, they, yes, mm-hmm. they were accosted. No, here's the thing. They were accosted at their homes. They had SWAT teams and armored personnel carriers surrounding their homes. Now, these are people that have families and kids, and you have and you have SWAT teams with automatic weapons and tanks rolling up to your front door of your house, accusing you of terrorism because you put together because you organized a peaceful protest. And 
the Elijah McClain protest in Denver during the summer mm-hmm. where, where they were accused of where they were accused of things they did not do. And they are still in jail being held without bond as we speak right now. And that's happening in Oregon. It's happening in New York. It's happening all over the place. And I'm telling you, people, mm-hmm. you're trying to make dissent criminal in this country. And that no matter where you're at in your political orientation, something if you really care about what's on that document that starts with we the people, you need to be seriously thinking about I need you need to be on the right side of that of that dividing line there. And that right side is is support peaceful, lawful dissent. Amen. Trying to criminalize it. I will tell you flat out. Within seconds of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, my oldest son said to me, Dad, how are those plans for moving to Ireland? Now, he's got to finish college first. My freshman is moving to Chicago today. Mm -hmm. She is going to be finishing her college first. But my youngest and I, we very well may be moving to Ireland. I don't see a good future. Even with Biden as president, I have to be honest. Well, there, there's something, but I'm going to tell, I'm going to bring in some revolutionary activism again. What's that? It depends on, uh, it depends on what we do out in them streets. And is it going to be hard? Yes. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. Will we have to put our asses on the line? Yes. Harley, all the protests but, in all the world aren't going to change a six-three majority for the Republican-controlled Supreme Court that is going to eliminate a conservative. A 6-3 Supreme Court that was conservative-controlled still passed Brown versus Board of Education. We can do that. We got to agitate. I'm not saying it's not going to be easy. It's going to be that much harder, but I can tell you, even with the most reactionary court— I don't think they listen to protests. I think they just follow their—and this is not the era that our parents and grandparents grew up in. This is the most divisive era of American politics in 100 years. We should avoid politics. We're we're getting into the weeds here. Okay, we're getting in the weeds, but but there's something I do want to talk about. I want to talk about what happens when someone raises their voice and and opens their throat and says, "Wait a minute," and something got done, and you did that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to give Don Ennis some love. You did that. You all I did was ask the right questions, and after I got the answers, number one job of a journalist. Yes, it is. But that's the number one job of a journal. That's what the fourth estate, that's what the fourth estate does best. It is, we don't know everything, but we know what questions to ask. And you asked Bernard Goldberg the right questions. And I think we can both agree that maybe he isn't the right choice to ask uh, questions of transgender athletes. This is a man who, he's friends with Bill O'Reilly. He's um, an associate of um people who dennis prager who are he's a he's a fox news contributor yeah he's just so far 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 right that from a cisgender straight perspective from his perspective he did a balanced job i'm going to admit that from his perspective he did a he did a balanced job because here's why okay He he had somebody trans he had somebody anti trans he had somebody who was uh, an expert, and he had somebody who was an expert on our side. And on top of that, 
he let people say their own things, except that when you drill down and you ask the people who were interviewed, what kind of questions did he ask? It turns out he was asking leading questions. He was asking questions to fit a narrative. And that narrative is, we are pretending to be women, that we are not playing fair, and that our cries of discrimination are being overshadowed and should be drowned out by the women who say that they are being discriminated against. He doesn't even realize he took a side. That's how sad this is. So all I did was ask questions. They got him very riled up. I didn't put it in my story, but he hung up on me because <laughs> he, he accused me of being an activist. Asked what kind of journalist am I? And then I went to, what is the logical next step? Hello, Human Rights Campaign. Hello, ACLU. Hello, GLAD. What do you think about this? What do you think about this story? And I had a transcript prior to the uh, report that aired last night. And I shared it with the uh, advocates. And what I didn't know, of course, is that GLAD did what GLAD does. It went behind the scenes to HBO and said, hey, you guys, you're not going to run this tonight. If you run this tonight, you are in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. So don't run this tonight. Put it on a shelf. And HBO, knowing that GLAD is pretty freaking big, did what it's bidding. They pulled the piece. I didn't do that. Glad did that. But Glad would not have done that had I not asked the questions, had I not gone to them and said, hey, this is sort of weird. And, you know, I watched the story and I read the story and it was done. It was all ready to go. They even mm -hmm. taped the part where Brian Gumble does the um, debrief. Yeah. So they wouldn't have done that if they weren't ready to go with this piece. Yeah. And where is it now? It's sitting on a shelf where it should be. I don't know if they'll actually air it. I really don't. They've got to get someone who's black. They're talking about black athletes and all the people interviewed are white. Mm -hmm. they, they've got to get somebody who's a scientist who is not anti-trans. And more than anything, they got to get away from this before and after fascination. Why is it every cisgender reporter wants to do, well, here is what the person looked like before. And here's what they look like now. What is that? Do you do that with other people? Do you ask? It's called cisness. It's called it's called cisness. Well, it's, I'm sorry, it, Senator. Can we have a picture of you when you were a little boy? Because we have to have a comparison of what you were like before you became the senator. Come on. They asked Chase Strangio, our beloved Chase Strangio of the ACLU, a powerful attorney, arguing before the Supreme Court, key to winning the Idaho battle to get an injunction. And they asked him, oh, no, we don't want your expert. Would you give us a picture of you in a dress? Can you give us a picture of you playing sports as a girl? Ugh, ugh, ugh. Well, I know. I, I can understand. This was, this piece was, gone. you remember what I told you when I first read the, um, when I first read the transcript. Yes. I was livid. Oh my God! They dead named her. Yes, right at the back. Uh, well, right right out the gate, the right you out dead name. You dead named June, June Eastwood number one, which is horrible. And June and 
I'll tell you, I, I mean, I, the first time I got, t- I got tipped off to something was at a panel discussion I was on with June a month ago. And June talked about being interviewed before we started the panel, talked about being interviewed. And I remember she had told me that, hey, I didn't like the interview I got. Mm. I didn't like the interview. And she told me that she agreed to be dead named, but had to be basically arm twisted to get to that point that they felt it was necessary and they convinced it was necessary, but she felt bad about it from the get go. Well, and they did it twice. And here's the other thing. You know what got Bernie Goldberg to hang up on me? What? He didn't accept that dead naming was a thing. I have the absolute right to name someone's name. No, you don't. And, and it's not just me. See, here's the thing. Here's the only place where I'll disagree with you, Don. Number one, the AP, the AP style book has a whole chapter on this. Yeah, do you think this Bernie is Goldberg has, written, has looked inside its AP style book in the last 30 years? You should be looking at – I've looked at my AP – I've gotten a new AP style book every year since I was a freshman in college. This, is an, old, this is an old white guy living yeah. it up in North Carolina, and he's done his 30 years at CBS, 28 years, and his 10 years at Fox News, and now he's punching a, a, a clock once a month at HBO to earn a paycheck so he can have, yeah. you know, enough stuff. But still, there's, <laughs> but I mean, I know I'm being, I'm being, like I said, I'll admit he called you an activist. In my case, I am one and I'll fully admit to that. Okay. And I fully, and I fully stand, but, but even in my activism, I understand what I signed up for when I joined, when I joined the noble craft of the fourth estate. Yes. And that means I have a responsibility as repugnant as it is, as, <laughs> as a source may be, to get it right. We actually and talked me, about that, though. And to me, we got it. And to me, this piece gets it. One of the biggest places this piece gets it. Well, well, first off, whoever produced this thing and whoever was the associate producers for this thing, first off, get your do your do your homework. Get your research. Josh Rossenwasser right. is the producer. Because you gotta you gotta get the research right. Yeah, you got to. This is something this is something. And having worked at this level on mm-hmm. these at ESPN, things, you got yeah, and, at, at ESPN. And also in Nebraska. They were, no, but they were sticklers at ESPN. They were sticklers for research. They right. they literally I mean, one thing when the when the I remember the day when the glad when when the glad rules really first came down about. When you're dealing with trans folks, this is what you do. And it was right before the Diane Sawyer, Caitlyn Jenner interview, where mm-hmm. they they sent a memo to every news organization in the world. They literally have producers stop meetings to talk about this. They literally had people stop meetings and say, "No, make sure you read this. Yeah. Make sure." And they have people. If there's something you're not sure about, we got people at the assignment desk who will walk you through it. The well, employee, I bet HBO's got it glad all over their ass right now, telling yeah. them you can't run this kind of story. This just doesn't work. This is the second trans-related story that Real Sports has done. The first one was in 2014 with Fallon Fox, mm-hmm. and now they got this one. And I got to be honest, they don't have the kind of people like us working there to know these things. That's well, see, the that's, problem, that's a whole Carly. Part of the, but that's yeah, that's a major problem. You need someone in that room that says, "Wait a minute," because, for example, if I've been in that room. First thing I would say when this script came out is, okay, you guys, for example, they interviewed a former, they interviewed an athlete who did, who 
was a high school who competed in her high school years in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of explanation you have to go into to understand. They basically said that, oh, this kid was the champion in 2016, 2017. She runs into Andrea Yearwood and loses. And th this was the fastest girl in the state. And then she ran to Andrea. No, that's not, that's not accurate. Nope. It's not even close. Nope. And then they said, well, this kid, them men matriculate the school and ran into another transgender kid named Cece Telfer, except her and Cece don't run the same events. Nope. <laughs> they don't run the same events. They just happen to be in the same conference. They don't run the same. See, it's th and that's another thing that bothers me once again. Once again, Andrea and Terry get hit again and don't get to respond and CC Telfer gets hit again and doesn't get yeah. to, and at another level fallen Fox. Yeah. They take another, everyone takes a shot at her. Yeah. Every time. And yeah. here's the thing about Andrea. Andrea agreed to be on the program and they didn't take really? her up on it. Oh yeah. See, I didn't know about that. Yeah. I didn't put included that... in my story cause I didn't want to have to like, you know, get into it. But the problem is, is that, as Chase and um, Nick Adams of the AC, of the of and Nick Adams of Glad said, they're talking about black athletes, but they're not they're interviewing not them. Black they're focusing all on the white people. But you There's see, that's, racism that's another, But you know yeah. what? But that's another part of the cisness. Yes, because that's another part of the cisness. Because one thing about news coverage of trans people that I notice is that they want they want whatever they want the narrative that fits and the narrative that that they want the most palatable narrative possible for a cis audience and mm -hmm. the most the most palatable narrative possible for a cis audience in many ways is nice is nice white heteronormative middle upper middle class often that is yeah, that often is the most that is the most and and especially heteronormative yep. that is the most palatable way of doing it and this crosses over into entertainment too yep. there have been so many trans actresses who have been rejected because they look too feminine trans what? female actresses who didn't look masculine enough because the casting directors who are of course cis want someone who the audience can say oh well that's a man that's obviously a man See, now I find that interesting because one thing I've noticed is, okay, that, I mean, that I find interesting because one thing I've noticed that in many ways, at least I found also in entertainment that that boat, that that pendulum often swings heavy the other way. Oh, yeah. Sure. We want people that look, we want people that, we want people that really look that part, that they say like, okay, yeah, yeah she's trans, but she's pretty. Thank you for the shout out for my piece about HBO. But let's piece. give you let's give you a shout out because you have been very active in your trans lifeline work. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's been going on in Trans Lifeline and why people should set up their smile.amazon.com account or donate money to Trans Lifeline. Well, we've got a lot of things coming up. Now, I mean, next month for example, we've got our we've got the streaming month coming up. And that's when we get some of the best, some of the big, some of the biggest and best video game streamers in the world. Mm -hmm. the people that are, that are running all those great Twitch accounts. 
they're doing special streams to raise money. And Trans Lifeline, somebody asked me earlier, I was at at a meeting before I came here, and they asked me how much of calls have gone up since the start of COVID. And it's about 85%. Right now, trans communities across North America, trans people have really been up against it. First, there's COVID. And COVID has shut down a lot of support services. It's derailed a lot of medical services for a lot of people. It's derailed a lot of needed care for people. Also, you have to factor in, especially for younger trans people, I'm talking high school age, college age especially, because colleges have ended early. A lot of trans people, for a lot of, for a good number of trans people, college is a place where they can actually, in many ways, breathe freely, especially if you're coming from households where parents, for example, and families are not supportive. Now, because of COVID, those same kids during the summer break had to go home in some very untenable situations where parents were not supportive in many cases. And yes, for a lot of high school and younger kids as well. And many of those kids still have to be in those situations because schools are not open. Kids are in Zoom classrooms, distance learning. So you've got a good number of trans people, young transgender people, in some difficult situations. And with support services non-existent in some areas or closed in others because of the pandemic, there's a gap. And there have been some organizations that have been able to fill in that gap. And Trans Lifeline, I'm proud to say, has been one of those. And right now, Trans Lifeline is doing more and more. They're trying to expand staff. They're trying to expand the reach. They, the, the organization, I'm proud to be a part of it, is doing a lot in the middle of this pandemic. It's done there. It's been a Herculean task throughout this pandemic. And we've got some things coming up to where, to where, hey, all our listeners out there, we could use you. And especially when we're, when we've got some excellent programming and excellent initiatives that are being out there. Like I said, we're trying to expand, we're trying to expand staff to get more operators online because, and get more operators trained because we don't have enough of us. There's also our micro grants program, which is a beautiful thing because that deals directly with something that unlocks the door to so many resources for so many people in housing, education, employment, and that is the ability to get your name changed. And for a lot of people, it's a daunting thing, mainly because of lack of funds. Remember, it's we're expensive. Dealing with the com- yes. And we're dealing with a community that has an unemployment rate that's six, that's five to six times the national average. That is a that's a high expense. And I know that from experience because I've lived that experience right back at what, you. Same here. Yes. Yeah. And what the micro grants program does is look at people who are in need and says, what do you need? And they mm-hmm. say, hey. It's going to cost me this much to get the documents changed. We cut them a check. And and this, this program has helped get so many people 
really on the road because I'm I can again I tell I I speak from experience. It's a rough thing to try and find a job when your resume has one name, but your driver's license has another. It's mm-hmm. hard to get housing. It's hard to get into school. When all those things line up, it streamlines the process. Over a half million dollars has been given away since this program started. That has helped I, thousands of people get into school, get housing, get their life. Let me help tell you how I'm helping Trans Lifeline. Besides donating money through any purchase I make with smile.amazon.com. You and I are both contributors to Connecticut Voice magazine, and I pitched an article that will be in the winter issue, and it is called 12 Pro LGBTQ Ways to Give Back to Charities in the Community, Our Holiday Guide to Spreading Connecticut Kindness. And do you know what organization is of that 12? Trans Lifeline. Thank you. I think I think it's just a really great idea. Um, here's what I wrote. More than a suicide hotline, Trans Lifeline bills itself as a trans-led national organization dedicated to improving the quality of transgender individuals' lives by responding to their critical needs with direct service, material support, advocacy, and education. Trans Lifeline, based in Oakland, California, is a 501c3 tax-exempt nonprofit organization with a Charity Navigator Encompass rating of 75 out of 100. GuideStar's report shows net assets exceeding $246,000 and revenue of more than $1.1 million from contributions, grants, and gifts, exceeding its liabilities by more than $300,000. Your donation, starting at $1, can be made online at translifeline.org backslash donate. And I'm hoping and every, that people respond to that. Well, I can tell you every little bit. Thank you for that, Don. And I can tell you every little bit helps because this is what little this is what um what the the mass majority of our donations are under something like twenty bucks. And look at what that's been able to do. I mean, like I said again, we've been able to we've been able to get the micro grants program has, has shown out since its inception about a half million dollars. That's helped thousands of people really get their go out and get their life. As as the person at DMV told me the day I got my driver's license changed, you are so brave, girl. Go get your life. I will never forget Woo! that. But that, but it also has helped expand our reach to to a lot of services. We were able to get more operators online. Mm-hmm. Most recently, we were able to start our bilingual line. Wow, we've gotten more. Yes, we've gotten we've gotten more Spanish speaking operators, Spanish speaking operators online. We're I mean, we're in an initiative right now to expand to better help individual communities and build links with more and more organizations, more organizations to help each other out. Because and the biggest but the biggest thing is also to get more people like me working those phones, because especially right now. Like I was explaining earlier, when you have so many kids, especially young people, but also not so young people, we're, we also have people who are dealing with things like dealing with, you know, how do I navigate family? How do I navigate parenthood? How we get a number of calls from a lot of parents saying, my kid just came out to me. I don't know what to do. I just know I love my child. Mm-hmm. And I know that I don't want my child to be one of that 41% who attempts or complete suicide. I don't want that for them. And also just being there and being a listening ear 
for a community that in many ways is under siege. Because think about this. Imagine, if, even if you're not trans, especially for the people who aren't trans who are listening, I want you to imagine if when you wake up every day and you pick up a newspaper or you, or you access a news website or you read TV and you listen to how much you aren't a citizen, how much we don't consider you human, how much we will put you under attack. That's what this administration has done. Yeah, that's what uh, the right wing. That's what the right wing attack dog press has done. Yeah, that's I what know. the Breitbart's of the world have done. And well, yes, we have. We're going to call we, them out. We have conservatives in our midst, Carly. You have to admit, we want to love the person and not define them by politics. And as long as they support the trans movement, as long as they are supportive of Planned Parenthood, I I, I will respect our conservative uh, bedfellows. Well, no, well, I'm not talking about the individual conservative. I know conservative elected, I know conservative Republican trans elected officials mm-hmm. who would say exactly the same things I'm saying. Like I said, it's not so much about your political tendency, but let's call spades spades here. Breitbart and the Federalist and Alliance Defending Freedom, and yes, and Betsy DeVos, these people are transphobes. Mm-hmm. These people are homophobes. These people yeah. are anti-LGBTQ across the board, and there's nothing wrong with calling that out. I agree. So what you're streaming, what you're watching, what you're doing, because right now, I, I was going to say, I'm still loving Star Trek Lower Decks and excited to see what comes next. Well, I can tell you this. I'm loving Star Trek Lower Decks. But the biggest thing I'm grooving to is not sci-fi. It's not fantasy. Well, it could be considered kind of fantasy. What is imagine, it? Imagine the most positive, uplifting, affirming sports coach you could ever have. Okay. Who's a complete fish out of water. But he's not played as a bumpkin. He's at, Well, in some ways plays a bumpkin but actually turns out to be very smart, very wise. Imagine Gil Thorpe in real life. <laughs> That's who, that is who Ted Lasso is. And oh, Ted Lasso. Ted La- I love the promos. If you haven't seen Ted Lasso, you should. Yeah, I see the promos. Sudeikis, it very funny. Jason Sudeikis, much love for this show. I love this Jason. show. This yeah. show could have been a – this was based on a concept NBC Sports did a couple of years ago to pub up to pub up the premiership, the fact that they were covering Premier League football soccer in England. This ended up being a very smart, snappy show. It's made by the creator. One of the showrunners on the show is the creator of Scrubs. And it was well put together. I really enjoyed it. Was, I really enjoyed it. I could tell you this will be a reason to get Apple TV. It was a very good show. I will definitely check it out. I have Apple TV. Can't wait for The Mandalorian to return. And right now I'm getting ready for tomorrow night's CBS premiere. Of season one of Discovery, Star Trek Discovery on Ooh, free TV. Oh yeah, I'm. Oh, I'm looking forward to that too. Okay, Carly, I'll see you next week. Live long and prosper. There she goes.